This is my wife Paula, and we're so grateful to be with you this morning. And I want to just address the elephant in the room right away. We're we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians today, and right in the midst of Colossians chapter three, there's some verses that that address husband and wives and, and parents as well. And I will be upfront and honest and say, when you hear this and when you read it, it seems so backwards. And so archaic and so old school, especially being in 2019. Some of you will hear these words and immediately you will bristle at them and you're going to disagree with it. And I want you to know the greatest thing about our God is he will present uh, what he believes is the right way to live. And then we get to choose if we want to live that way. He gives us free will to do that. But wherever you're at in your faith, I just want to simply challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you to be open to what God has to say, especially what we're going to be talking about today. Because I'll tell you, the hardest thing in our lives is not my job. It's not even sometimes our kids. It's our marriage. And we want to be honest about that today and give you some insight into that. But I'll tell you, there are, I have tried so many things in my marriage to have it go the way that I want it to go. And there are times when we do take steps forward, but I'll tell you, there are times when we take a lot of steps backwards as well. And maybe you feel that way as well. Maybe you feel like you like your marriage, it's a good marriage, but you want it to be better. Or maybe today you're like, man, my marriage is in shambles, it's barely holding on. And all I want you to do is just to wrestle with the fact that even though what we'll present to you sounds outdated, it doesn't mean that it's not true. You see, when I look outside of what God has to say, and I look to my own self, or I look to conventional wisdom, I don't see anything in that that is making my marriage better. But when I look up to God and I hear what he has to say, even though it goes against the grain of who I am or who we are, it's incredible how things start to go better. And it makes sense because if God created marriage and God created relationships, then surely he's going to give us a plan to live it out to where we have a successful marriage and can be successful parents. And so I just want you to be open to that today. And there's some of you here this morning who you would say, oh, great, you're going to teach on marriage? I'm not married. I'm single. You would say, I'm single by choice. Some of you would say, I I never want to get married. And the reason is I feel like God's calling me to singleness. I think that's amazing. Some of you are here, and you're not married, and it wasn't your choice. Maybe you were in a marriage, and it broke apart, and now you're separated, or you're divorced, or someone left you or cheated on you, and you're just left in shambles. Some of you are single parents, or you're widowed. And I want you to understand that this place at the chapel is a family for you, is a refuge for you, that you belong here no matter what your marital status is. And I want to tell you, outside of my family, some of my closest friends, I am who I am today because of a single guy. And his name's the Apostle Paul, the one who actually wrote Colossians, the one who challenged churches and planted churches and changed the way Christianity is. It was because of a single guy who recognized his gifts and abilities, and he gave that away. And he changed so many people's lives, including my life as well. He is one of my heroes in this world because he understood what God was calling him to do, even in his singleness. Eric likes the Apostle Paul so much that he married Paula. That's right. <laughs> that was his one uh, stipulation. She has to be named Paula. That's so right. here I am. I won out on that one. Yes. There have been many single women in my life that have profoundly impacted my walk with Jesus, my marriage, and my family today. 
Um, I was mentored by a woman named June who is a lot older than me, and um, she was a former alcoholic who was divorced and found Jesus at the age of 55. And when I um, spent a lot of time with her, I gleaned so much from her that I am who I am today because of her. And she died on Eric's birthday about six months before we started dating. Um, another person is, um, who's a single woman who impacts me daily is uh, a woman in this room right now. Her name is Carmen. She's right here in the front row. Carmen wakes me up every morning to a text. And it's not a text with fluff of any sort. It's a scripture. It is some sort of prayer or encouragement saying she's praying for me. She prayed this whole week for us, and I felt more peace than I had in a long time about speaking. And um, the last person I want to mention is my mother-in-law, Barb. Barb is a widow, and um, she lost her husband to an accident a couple years ago. And Barb could sit in her grief and not turn to anybody else, but instead she pours her life out for other people, especially our lives and um, our kids. She's there for us. She encourages our marriage. She takes our kids. She took two of our kids this week when the other two were home throwing up with the stomach virus on Friday, and we were trying to prepare. And um, her marriage, her marriage to Scott, really impacted us when Scott was alive and even now when he's not. There's more love and respect in that marriage than I've seen in a lot of marriages. So no matter what your marital status is, God wants to use you, especially if you are single, just like he uses Paul. And what I love about Paul is he looks at other marriages and those in the church and he says, I want to encourage them. I want to challenge them. And he does that in Colossians chapter 3. And I'll tell you, he addresses the wife first. There's no theological reason why. He just, I think, was thinking about, okay, I want to write about marriage and starts with the wife. But the word that he uses to address the wife and the relationship is one that you wives are probably like, uh, no. <laughs> it's an interesting word, an interesting concept that I'm grateful that Paula is going to talk about. And this is what he has to say. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. So, <laughs> this is where I come in. Um, you know, a couple months ago, Eric was saying, you know, we're going to have a series in the fall. It's going to involve some a message on relationships. Would you think and pray about being part of that with me? And so with a level of nervousness that I always have when he asked me, I, I said, yes, I would. And so I'm thinking, okay, marriage, relationships. So in my mind, I'm going, oh, we could, do, we could say this or this or this. And then last week, um, I was at home with the kids, and I was trying to get ready. I was upstairs in the bathroom blow-drying my hair, and Eric was here at the chapel working. And so he's texting me, and he's, he's trying to put me at ease. And he's saying, don't worry, don't stress. We'll get the kids taken care of. I'll carry a lot of the weight of this message. You just need to focus on one part of the message, uh, the part that involves submission. <laughs> and... I literally laughed out loud. and I gave some context behind that. Yeah. <laughs> he was so sincere. He was just trying to make me feel better. And I was like, is this a joke? I said, is this a joke? Like, for real, I'm talking about this. And I thought maybe this is some sort of intervention for him to just kind of get me to figure this thing out. Because the truth is, submission is not something that comes extremely naturally to me. I've never really been considered a passive person. Um, the word that's followed me from childhood to adulthood was feisty. Paul is feisty. And, um, and so when I was single, Eric and I got married when I was about 27. And so I had some single years. And I can remember reading these passages that talk about women submitting to their husbands and husbands being the head of the home. And I, I thought, okay, you know, I love Jesus and I'm trying to grow in him and I believe in this. And I want to see this happen and I want a godly man to um, find me. 
um, and lead me. But I really just wasn't convinced that there was a man on this earth that could actually lead me. But then I found Eric. And, <laughs> um, and I can't even tell you how much I've learned since getting married and um, really humbling myself before God and learning more about what this passage and what submission actually is and what it's not. And so I'm passionate to stand up here today to tell you right off the bat, I just want to tell you what I think submission is not, to maybe put you at ease. Because everybody comes in with preconceived notions about what they think submission is. Some of you women have checked out. You don't like me already because you can't believe I'm buying into the submission thing. But I just want you to hang with me. Let's walk through just three things that I think submission is not. Submission is not being inferior or second class to your husband. This submission thing has nothing to do with your value and your worth and your identity as a woman. That's not the case. You are equal to your husband in value. The foot of the cross, you're both standing there, broken sinners, equal in the eyes of the Lord. What is different is that your husband and wife have different roles that are set up by God in Scripture. The husband is to be the head of the home and the wife is to, to submit to that. And this is what I have really wrestled with. And here's what I've come to discover. We both have the opportunity to reflect Christ in our marriage. Eric has the opportunity to reflect Christ as he leads our family, leads our marriage, as Christ led the church and laid his life down for the church. He died for the church. And I have the opportunity to submit like Jesus submitted to the Father and actually died on the cross for our sins. I am um, currently walking through the Gospels again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I've read them before, but I feel like I have new eyes on them. And I'm seeing Jesus, and I'm reading about him being in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's literally like crying tears of blood when he's about to go on the cross. And he's like, Father, take this from me. Take this cup from me. I don't want to die and be separated from you. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted to the Father. And I can, if if Jesus Christ can submit to the Father, I can submit to my husband who is doing his best to submit to the Father. Number two, submission is not being passive. I am really happy to hear this. Um, submission does not equal passivity. It's quite the opposite. I love what um, a woman by the name of Kathy Keller, who's the wife of Tim Keller, he's a great pastor, Eric quotes him all the time. She said, submission is bringing your strengths as a woman to the table. It's not not saying anything, not having a voice. It's actually bringing who you are, your gifts, your abilities, to strengthen your husband and to strengthen your marriage. And together you are better when it works that way. I know plenty of godly, influential men that would definitely credit a lot of who they are to the strong woman that's beside them because she has a voice and she speaks up. Number uh, three the third, submission is not submitting to your husband's sinful or abusive behavior. I hate that we even have to talk about this. But the fact of the matter is there are some relationships in this room and outside of this room where there's abuse taking place, where the man is not leading in a godly way. and He's actually trying to lead the wife in a sinful way with abuse or asking her to do sinful things. This verse is not um, an allowance for the husband to behave in an abusive or thumbing down or dictator type way when it comes to abuse or other sinful behavior. We are not to neglect the other areas of scripture that would tell us not to do certain sinful things. Our submission is first to Jesus Christ and then to our husband. And if 
what our husband is asking us to do is going against God's word, then we are not to submit to that. And I just want to say, like, tenderly to those women that may be involved in an abusive relationship or something toxic or something that you are wrestling through this, our first priority for you is to get safety and to seek counsel. If you don't know who to go to, come to us. We'll connect you with somebody. But that's where you need to be to get the counsel that you need. And submission is not one-sided. To read this verse in isolation from the next verse addressing husbands would be reading this phrase or this kind of uh, thing in, in a complete way. And actually, this makes no sense without the husband playing his role as well. Let me illustrate. So this word in the Greek is the word hupotasso. And this word literally means, hupo means under, and tasso means to arrange. And so Paul is saying, wives, arrange yourselves under your husband's leadership. But what kind of leader is the husband called to be? Well, this phrase is actually a military word. This word submission is a military word that Paul strategically uses here to understand both the roles that a husband and a wife ought to play. And so I love how Dennis Rainey puts it. A military term to submit means to fill each vacancy so that every rank and file of the formation is complete and at full strength and ready to go into battle. I love that. You see, we are called to go into battle together in marriage. Oftentimes, our battles are not with each other, but against each other. And we're supposed to be going into this world side by side, playing each other's roles, and so we can live this, in this world victoriously for Christ. But so often we go at each other, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. Let's play our roles so we can have the greatest marriage possible. And what I love uh, what he's saying here, Paul, he's saying to put yourself under your husband's leadership is like a platoon putting itself under uh, their leader. And so I want to look at what that looks like. Uh, we have a friend here at the church named Dave Morris who really has thought about what a good squad leader looks like over their platoons. And this is exactly what Paul is calling husbands to be as well. And husbands, as we put this on the screen, I want you to ask yourself, is this the kind of leader that you are playing in the home? Is this who you are to your wife and kids? He says, literally I'm quoting him, a, God, a good squad leader definitely leads his team, but he knows his team and focuses on taking advantage of each person's strength so the team's goals are met. If the squad leader asks, acts like a dictator, he's going to squash his team and lose out on their contribution. The team won't perform as well as it should. Husbands, if you are a dictator in the home, and you are leading in this way, and you get mad at your wife or mad at your kids for not following you. Guess what? It's not your wife, and it's not your kids. It's you. Because a good squad leader doesn't use his role over. He uses his role to come alongside and to lead. A good squad leader is responsible to his team, but he never forgets that he's also responsible to his superior and his superior goals, not his own. And finally, I love this. A good squad leader is willing to die for his team. He's going to rush the pillbox when his guys are pinned down. He's going to stay behind to cover the pass so his team gets away. And while he does this, he's sacrificing himself to save the ones he's responsible for. When Paul is addressing husbands, he's saying, husbands, you ought to live this way. That's why he says in the next verse, right after he addresses wives, he says right away, husbands, 
Love your wives and never treat them harshly. And Paul, he's writing to another church around the same time, a church that's in Ephesus, and he's filling out what this word love means. And he, he says this in Ephesians 5, 25. He says, husbands, this means love your wives. How? You love your wife just as Christ loved the church. And he gave up his life for her. Women, I don't understand for sure. How you must feel when you, when you see the word submission. You're just like, oh, are you kidding me? What a difficult task that you have. And it's true that you do. But husbands, I want to say, in front of your wives today, you and I have the harder task. At least we should. We should be such a good squad leader to those in our platoon that they will want to follow us into battle, that they would trust us, that we would be leading them in such a way where we understand the responsibility to lead is all on our shoulders so that we can make our platoon the very best that they can be. This is why husbands, if you're really thriving as a husband, then we're called to allow our wives to thrive as well. How do we do that? Well, we know her strengths, and we encourage those strengths. We praise her strengths. We tell other people about our wives' strengths. While at the same time, not thumbing her down and knowing her weaknesses and not in front of the guys talking about those weaknesses or saying harsh things because we know how to get to her. That's not the kind of husband that our wives need from us. Our, our husbands in this room, we are called to be the squad leader that literally looks at his platoon as more important than ourselves, and they are to go and die to our own desires, die to our own needs, so that our wife can thrive as a person and in the marriage. And we do this by following the ultimate squad leader, Jesus, who asked his people to follow him, and he did so in a loving way, unconditional love, with care and kindness and mercy but he doesn't just say, I love you because talk is cheap. Our wives are sick of us husbands and I'm saying things and we're not backing that up with actions. That's why Jesus says, I don't just love you with words, I love you with my life. And he laid his life down, literally dying so we can thrive as his people. Our wives in this room should wake up every day and look in the face of her husband and it should be the closest physical appearance of Jesus that she sees every single day for the rest of her life. And if we are not living that way, if she does not see Jesus in us every day, we are not holding up to our end of the bargain. Wives, you need us as husbands to be that way. Husbands, our wives need us to live out our calling as the squad leader of the family. When I hear that kind of leadership and how God intended it to be, I think, okay, submission maybe isn't that hard. <laughs> so I just want to take a few minutes to talk. We talked about what submission is not, but let's talk about what submission is. So the first one, submission is inviting and affirming your husband's leadership. It's getting out of the driver's seat and saying, I want you to steer. I want you to steer us. I want you to steer our family. And not being this passenger seat driver or this back seat driver. Eric's nodding because I am one of those. Sometimes. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we as women have tendencies to be like, look out. Don't, oh my goodness, you're way too close. Why are you doing that? And pointing out everything that he's not doing right. I'm at the point where I just look down now. 
If we get in an accident, I won't know. Or maybe we won't get in an accident because I'm actually looking down That's and not you. interrupting. <laughs> and, um, and it's just, it's inviting them into that. I think for me, this hits home because when we first got married, I think I unintentionally and unaware to me had a superiority complex. I came in and I was pretty sure I was right and Eric was wrong about most things. <laughs> Um, and so if we were having a disagreement or just really anything, I would make sure that he knew that that wasn't really the right way to do it or that wasn't how I thought so that it was wrong. And um, it took a while before I started realizing, you know, my tendency to kind of jump in the, the driver's seat or to kind of control or manipulate is not working. The thing that I'm doing that I think is going to change him is not changing him. It's actually having a negative effect on our relationship. And so a couple years later, I can remember Eric had really thought this through. He prayed, and he, he sat me down, and he just humbly said, you know, when you talk to me like that and when you say those things, it makes it really hard for me to lead you. And I want to lead, and I, I want to make this work in our relationship to thrive. And that, I could see how broken he was over that, and that broke me. And it humbled me. And it's what it took for me to finally say, okay, I want to I get my hands off of this, because clearly it's not going the way I thought it would with my control. And so it's me stepping back and inviting him to lead. And that's what we as women need to do. We need to say, like, I think you can do this. Like, you're, you're amazing. In pointing out the areas that he's doing right instead of everything that he's doing wrong, it's steering where the positive is in his life, even when it's just the little tidbits of leadership or the little things he's doing right. It's when you have the night off and your husband's home with your kids and you come back through the door and you, in your mind you're thinking, like, it's going to be angelic, the children are going to be bathed and jammied and... The dishes will be done and the, everything. And then you walk in, and it is a tornado. <laughs> and your dishes are not done, and the house is a mess, and you look over, and your husband had the audacity to be on the floor playing with your kids. It's instead of saying, really? The dishes are still not done. And it's choosing to say, thank you for investing in our kids, because that's what really matters. Thank you for doing that. And it's instead of saying, you know, you lost your temper yesterday. You lost it the day before. You've lost it our whole marriage. It's saying, you know what? When you lost your temper the other day, you apologized to me. That meant a lot to me. Thank you. That showed humility. I appreciate that. I think that we live in a world of critics, especially for our husband. And I would just encourage you, and I'm encouraging myself, not to be another critic. He's got, another, he's got enough of those in his world. And deep underneath it all, I think men, if they were honest, they would say, I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm failing in my marriage in the home with my kids, or at my job, or as a friend. Let's not add to that failure. It's too easy to do that. I would encourage you to be as big as fan, as big as cheerleader. The next one, submission is, are we getting a click here? Bringing your strengths to the marriage. We talked about this and what it's not, but what it is, it's bringing who you are. It's bringing your identity and your gifts to the table because when you bring your voice to the table, then you can challenge your husband in a Christ-like, godly way. Because it's, it's, for the, it's for the strong woman who just always speaks up and always harping. And it's for the passive woman or the woman who's a little bit more timid, who doesn't want to rock the boat. It's a call for both of them to share what's on their mind, to, to contribute to the marriage. But it's in 
a Christ-like manner. You know, there is this, this saying that's going around on social media. It, it went all over the place last year on Facebook, and I saw it. And it says, strong women, may we know them, may we be them, and may we raise them. And I am all for strong women. But every time I read that, I just felt this prick on my heart. And I thought, I just am not sure that the way the world is measuring the strength of a woman is the way God would measure the strength of a woman. Because to me, that saying often says to women of the world, not women of faith, but women of the world, it says, a strong woman is defined by charging the mound, getting to the top, pushing everybody aside, saying what she wants, when she wants it, and accomplishing her goal. To me, that looks a whole lot different than a woman of faith who is anchored in Christ, who is trying so hard to follow Jesus in her everyday life. And it's, it's the woman in faith who has the same convictions and things rising up in her bones. And she could easily do that, but she's anchored and she reigns it in with self-control. And it's not that she does not talk. It's that when she talks, she says it in a Christ-like, respectful way. Because for me... When I'm frustrated, when I'm tired, when I've had a long day, and Eric says something that kind of just ticks me off, it would be easy for me to just tell him what I think. It takes the strength of everything in my body <laughs> to not do that. I, this ha- may or may not have happened last week or yesterday, and I remember thinking, I'm tired and I'm so stressed out, and these kids, they're, they're just so tired and crazy. And Eric said something unintentionally that bothered me, and I remember thinking, well, I'm teaching on this. I probably should put it into practice. <laughs> so I was, like, gritting my teeth, like, Jesus, help me. And I said, like, I don't like it when you say that. You know, and it was in a much more, he took it much better than um, had I just flew off the handle. Submission is showing an attitude of respect. It's just that. It's not if you should say something. It's when you should say something, how you should say something. It's not what you say. It's how you say it. It's your tone. It can look a lot different when you're like, really? As opposed to, okay, I think we need to talk about this. And it'll be amazing how that changes your marriage. Submission is entrusting your husband and your marriage to God. Because bottom line, we're not in control. Women, we are not in control of our life. We're not in control of our husband. I've heard it said, you cannot control your husband, but you can control you. It's the same thing with kids. You can't control these little people. It's baffling to me. Um, But you cannot control them, but you can control you. It's the saying, respond, don't react. Respond to your children. Don't knee-jerk react and go off the handle. It's a a woman under self-control. It's letting go of what you think is a right to be domineering, controlling, manipulative. It's as easy as that. And so... As husbands, obviously, we would love a wife like that. And um, I'll be honest, and I'm thankful Paula was transparent. Paula isn't always like that. And so what do do I do? Well, it's funny. Paul says, husbands, love your wife and never treat them harshly. And what she said about wives, uh, you can control you but not your husbands. The same is true. Husbands, we can't control our wives though we really want to. And there are times when, when Paula will, will not act the way she just said, and I get very harsh. And then there's other times where she is being an incredible wife, but because of whatever's going on in my life, or I'm just frustrated with her, I can take it out on her. What's interesting, that word harsh in Greek literally means bitterness. 
And when I get embittered in life, whether my job, my kids, my wife, my insecurities, whatever it is, and I become bitter, I oftentimes can take it out on her. But not just her. It's interesting that Paul says this, following that. He goes, children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And we're like, yes, amen. Tattoo this on your face, kids. But he also says, fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. I am convinced. I said it before. I'll say it again. I am convinced that husbands, our wives, don't respond great to us, or our kids don't respond great to us, because we are jerks. Why in the world would a wife, after you've been harsh, or a kid, when you've been harsh, not feel discouraged and weighed down and frustrated? And then they will act that way. And then it gets more harsh. We get in this terrible cycle. And guys, we are called to a higher standard. We are not called to thumb down our platoon. We're called to die for it. I remember last year, it was right after Christmas Eve, I just was having a really, really hard time in my life. It was one of the hardest times I've ever had. I felt like I was on the verge of a mental breakdown. And I remember just, it was really hard, and at home it was really hard. And Paula and I, we started to get into an argument, and usually our arguments start very small. Like, okay, you didn't empty the dishwasher, and then it just starts to explode. Well, this fight just kept going and escalating and escalating. All this stuff that we're reading today, it was out the window. We had gasoline and both of us were just pouring it onto this huge fire. Well, we were saying some things. We got so loud it woke up our son. We both went into our son's room and she said something to me. And I don't remember what she said. But I remember a thought that came to me that literally resided, I felt like, in the pit of hell. And I thought, there's no way I can say this. This will ruin our marriage. This will ruin all the love and trust I've had for her. And it kept coming up and coming up. And before I did not have self-control, it came out. And I tried to grab it. And it didn't. And it hit her ears. And I saw just how she wilted. And I was so upset, not at her, but at myself, though I blamed her. I left the house at midnight. I drove down to the pier. And I just sat there for a long time. I called my mentor at that late. I was that bad. Because I was such a jerk and harsh to her. And guys, it doesn't have to be one big fight. There are times when we come home every single day from work and we take it out on our wives and we take it out on our kids. And you know what, husbands? Shame on us. We have no excuse. We are called to not be bitter. We're called to make things better. That is why the responsibility is on our shoulders to lead our family in a way a good squad leader would lead its platoon so that at the end of the day, whatever is happening, we will stay behind and die for them so that we can make our kids and our wife the very best version of themselves. And so what I want to do, just what we just talked about, I want to give us just next steps. And if you're struggling in your marriage or you want to just take it to the next level, we are bringing in Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley uh, in March for, uh, from Focus in the Family to just teach us how do we build a marriage that feels like it's the safest place on earth? How do you heal conflict so it doesn't turn out to our conflict that I just <laughs> told you about? How do you uh, have, communicate in a way that creates a deep connection? And so Friday night, March 6th, Sunday, March 7th, uh, we're going to host them here. Paul and I will be here, I can tell you that, that we can learn how to have a healthy marriage. It's going to be an incredible night to be able to have the marriage that God wants us to have.
And then on a monthly basis, we're going to be launching this called Marriage Matters. One Friday a month, beginning in January, we're going to sit down. We're just going to talk and pray and learn more about marriage so that we can have the marriage that God wants us to be. Your marriage is more important than anything in this world. It affects everything that you do in your life, including your kids and your grandkids who are looking in to see what a healthy marriage looks like. It's time for us to play the roles that God has given us so we can have the very best marriage possible. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that when we look at each other, we see Jesus. You have created marriage to be a gift, and Lord, how often we take that gift and we throw it aside, either by our aggressive harshness or our passivity, because we're interested in so many other things. Lord, I pray that we would work on our marriages as much as we work on our bodies, how much we work on our jobs, how much as we work on our kids, as much as we work on our hobbies. Would we put all of that emphasis into our marriage so we can thrive the way that you want it to thrive? And we thank you, God, for this gift. May we receive it well. In Jesus' name, amen.